Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Kira Posey. In this episode, I speak with Maureen Sheeran, an investigative and special projects producer at Atlanta's WSB-TV. Before coming to WSB, Maureen worked at San Diego's KGTV as an associate producer, where she reported on how the state's foster care system failed the children it was supposed to protect. She and her colleagues found that the California Department responsible for child welfare services did not maintain data regarding all deaths of children in foster care. Maureen is also a University of Georgia graduate, where she received her degree in journalism in 2017. Previously, she also interned at WSB-TV and ABC News in their investigative units. Today, Maureen joins me to talk about her career in investigative reporting, how she reported the work that earned her an Emmy Award, and she shares how she reports on sensitive topics. She also shares her networking strategies and her advice for people looking to jumpstart their journalism career. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Maureen. It is great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the lead. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. So we have a lot that I want to cover during our chat. So let's go ahead and just jump right into our first question. So since graduating from Grady in 2017, you've already had an expansive career in investigative reporting. So how did you get your start in investigative reporting? I got my start in reporting because of UGA Grady. I was in an intro to journalism class with Lori Johnston, and she, um, she was explaining to us the open records law and how we could access a lot of documents. We could find the answers to anything you wanted. All you had to do is ask, and there's a law that says they have to give it to you. And I thought that was so cool and so exciting. And she recommended me for this program called the Georgia News Lab. So during the Georgia News Lab, we worked with people who worked at the AJC and at WSB-TV and approached those projects from both a print and a broadcast angle. And it was during that program that I kind of got my foot in the door in broadcast TV. I'd never really considered it. So that's when I pivoted from from reporting for print to reporting for TV. And ever since then, all my internships and jobs have been in broadcast TV um, from a producing standpoint, behind the scenes, doing doing all the research and all the behind the scenes work that that make you know TV investigations possible. So it sounds like that class specifically got you into investigative reporting. What about investigative reporting itself made you want to explore it as your career? I really knew nothing about investigative reporting. I was, you know, in an intro to writing, goes writing across platforms in, in Professor Johnston's class. She recommended it to me. I, I just had never done anything investigative before, but it sounded like a cool opportunity, so I did it. Um, and it was intense. <laughs> Every Friday, it was, it was an hour drive to Atlanta and a three-hour class and then a, and a drive back. But we worked on really cool projects. Um, we, you know, we did audits to see how different counties handled open records requests and found out which counties were great and which counties need some work. We did a big investigation to the Atlanta Beltline and some promises on affordable housing that the Beltline had made that weren't on track when we did that investigation. Um, and it, it was a lot of work, but it was so... It just kind of showed me how much I liked investigative reporting and 
and how fun it was to send open records requests and find out answers that you couldn't find just on the surface. And you can't, you can't do that kind of reporting in a day. And daily reporting is so important as well. But I just really found a passion for investigative reporting. Why is it important for you to tell these stories that require investigative and tedious reporting? Because they may not get told otherwise. Um, you know, with, with COVID-19, that's a story that we're all following. And every new development from the CDC, from the FDA is going to get reported. And that's very important. With investigative reporting, these are stories that may not come to light otherwise. So, for instance, when I worked my first full-time job in San Diego, we, we did a lot of reporting on the foster care system. And we found that San Diego County had really high numbers of, of child maltreatment in, in the county, way higher than they should be, according to experts that we spoke to. We also found out that the state didn't keep track of how many children died in foster care. They said, you know, that that data is tracked at the, at the county level. We don't have it up at the state. And one state assemblyman that we talked to said, well, if you don't have that data, you can't make the decisions. So that story wouldn't have come out and we wouldn't have had people proposing legislative changes had we not done that story. Mm-hmm. And that's why investigative reporting is important. I actually want to talk about your time in San Diego. Like you mentioned, you reported on the foster care system there and you won an Emmy award reporting on how San Diego's foster system failed to protect the children it was supposed to protect. So what was your team's approach to covering such a difficult topic? So I got there in April of 2018 and um, my colleagues, Adam Kusin and Adam Pillsbury had already done some reporting on the foster care system. They had already kind of turned it into a little bit of a beat Adam Rakusin has a huge heart for children and foster care children. It's something he cares about deeply. They were kind enough to let me on their team and let me help out, take me into their wing, teach me some things. We ended up working as a three-person team and, and figuring out, okay, how can, we, how can we take this reporting further? And the answer was it involved a lot of open records requests um, to find out, for instance, that the state didn't keep track of, of foster care deaths. It's one thing to find that out. But the story was stronger because we built our own database to answer that question. So that involved records requests to each county in California to see how many children died in that county and making our own total of how many kids died statewide. And then we did another set of records requests to compare, is this normal? Do other states not keep track? So it was a records request to all 50 states to see, do you guys keep track of of foster care deaths in your state? Um, And where... Where I came in was I had the time and the ability to really send out dozens and dozens and dozens of records requests, whereas Adam Rakusa and Adam Hillberry would be out during the day shooting interviews and, and finding people who'd be able to talk to us on camera about it. You know, they really knew the area more than I did. I'm not from San Diego, so I didn't know that, you know, an assemb- a certain assemblyman would, would care specifically about this and be able to talk to us and want to propose legislation. So they came at it from the background of they had a lot of San Diego knowledge. And I came at it from the background of I have extra time at the end of my shift at late at night to send these records requests out and really put some data behind our reporting. When you're covering sensitive topics in investigative reporting, how do you ensure that your reporting remains sensitive, right, while still telling the story and telling the truth? Well, the first thing is to care. 
is to genuinely care about the story you're telling and care about the people that are going to be impacted by it and not just be telling the story to tell the story and then have it reported and, and earn awards. Um, and that is something that I, you know, absolutely believe our team did. Like I said, Adam Rakusin had such a huge heart for children. So in the center of those stories were, you know, foster children are some of the most vulnerable people in this country and they, you know, they deserve protection and, and to be looked out for. So it, it was keeping care for the foster children and their families at the center of the story, not just the state did this wrong. The county did this wrong. They failed them. It, it's keep, why are we telling a story and who, who is this helping or hurting? And I've personally seen some of your reporting and hearing about just all the work that went into making it. It's so impressive to me. And um, of course, these are such important stories to tell. So just thank you for doing it. Thank you. That that means a lot. And I really did. I learned so much from, from my colleagues on that story. I That was my first full-time job. I was very new to reporting and producing. And um, I, I really learned so much from them. So going back into your background, you graduated from UGA, went on to San Diego, and then came back to WSB. What brought you back there? Sure. Um, So I was in San Diego for almost a year, and then I got a phone call from my prior supervisor at WSB when I'd interned there as a college student. Um, She was moving to a new role, and they thought of me to fill fill her position. Um, but so it was, it was a little bit of, of right place, right time. It worked out. And also it was the fact that I had done a good job when I was an intern and, you know, liked the people I worked with and showed them, showed them the quality of my work and they liked me. Um, so I was, I was hired for the job and I moved back to Atlanta in 2019, um, as an investigative producer. Some of the stories we've worked on include um, a group of doctors, medical doctors who treat people who were performing unlicensed surgeries on pets, um, something like that, which might seem a little silly, but, you know, those pets have owners who care very deeply about them. And we had some veterinarians that were very concerned that these surgeries weren't being done properly because medical doctors aren't trained to operate on animals. So that, that was one of the first stories I worked on when I got back. We've also done stories about a... Um, a power plant in in Madison, Georgia, that's supposed to be making renewable energy, but the neighbors who live nearby say it's making them sick from, you know, the soot and the noise and everything that's coming from the plant. We've done reporting on an at-home teeth straightening company. It's an at-home orthodontist experience. Um, And orthodontists say that it's, you know, you, you can't order in your orthodontia. Like you should go to an orthodontist so that you don't make your teeth worse. A lot of stories involving health and who's qualified to provide that treatment that people are looking for. And how does reporting about the healthcare system affect the investigative reporting process, particularly when healthcare involves a lot of private information? So the doctors that we talk to are always very careful to speak generally and never, never um, violate patient privacy, but as you know, um, from your reporting experience, you always want real people in your story. Stories are about people. So that is a challenge, is finding people who are willing to talk about it. It, there, it is a challenge getting the people who have been impacted to go on camera because sometimes they are embarrassed. Sometimes, I mean, it's a private, it, it can be very private. When you're reporting on a subject that people might not want to talk about on camera, like their health, or that might involve confidentiality, 
How does that affect how you gather sources, how you reach out to people, and ultimately how you tell that story? It's reaching out to a wide net of people and if you're running into a brick wall, hearing no over and over again, getting creative and saying, okay, how else can we tell this story? So for the, you know, that we're at home worth a doncha, we ended up finding somebody who was using it and was having a decent experience with it, but said, you know, I had braces earlier in life. This is just to kind of be a retainer. I would, I would never do this for a first time orthodontia treatment. So getting a little creative and seeing how else we could tell the story. And like for the foster care story in San Diego, you know, we can't show children's faces. We can't find out their names because that's private. So it was figuring out how we can tell this story in a way that makes you realize there are so many children out there that are impacted by this without being able to show or, or tell you anyone's name. And sometimes we can, you know, answer that by talking to a foster mom um, or in this case, making a graphic that showed a bunch of like 200 milk carton pages all on one screen to kind of give you an idea of 200 kids died in our county. Um, it, it's just getting creative when you can't get a real person for, for privacy reasons. I want to ask you about your networking strategies. You began as an intern at WSB, moved on, went somewhere else for a bit after college and then you eventually came back and of course now are working there full time. So over the years, what has been your approach to networking? So for me, my approach has been building relationships with the people I'm working with at whatever time. The beauty about journalism and investigative reporting in, in particular is that there is always something to do. So there is always uh, an interview you can help someone transcribe. There is always an, a records request that someone has been meaning to send that hasn't had the time to do. So for me, my strategy has always been to help my colleagues as much as I can, even when I'm an intern, and it's, it's just transcribing 60 pages of interviews and showing that I can, I can do deadlines, I can do high stress, I can, do, I, I can jump into roles that aren't part of my job description. So filling in where I can and you know, helping out with whatever task is available and making relationships with my colleagues that has been my way of networking and colleagues have always been how I landed my next role. I have never, I have never gotten a job by cold applying. I have never gotten a job by sending a stranger a message on LinkedIn. Although that does, I do hear that works and people in journalism are always looking to help. My style has always been more one-to-one -one with the people I'm working with and then maintaining those relationships, even when you're no longer at the same station with them. That has been what, what worked for me. As someone who wants to get into the media industry personally, that is great to hear that it's been based off of networking. That's really reassuring. Really, I mean, journalism students hear this all the time, but the internships you do in school and even right after you graduate are so important and they can really launch your career. And in my experience, my colleagues at those internships have always been busy, but they are not too busy to help you, especially if you have some time to help them get their work done. Is there any advice that you might have for people who are looking to get into the industry or maybe looking to break into journalism? We obviously talked about being able to network once you land an internship, but what about those people who are maybe looking for their first internship? What would you say to them? I would say um, let other people tell you no. Don't tell yourself no. Apply for the internship even if you think you may not be qualified. The teacher recommends you for a program about investigative reporting and you've never heard of it, try it. <laughs> Even if you think it might not be for you, if you don't have a lot of experience in the area, there's no way to find out except doing it. 
and a, a lot of what I've learned has been from letting other people push me or, or trying things that I wouldn't have thought of myself. So don't rule your, don't rule yourself out. Don't rule out opportunities for yourself. Apply for everything that you can <laughs> and let other people tell, you no. if they reject your application, they'll reject it and you can try something else, but don't not apply, give it a try. And besides just internships, apply for fellowships, apply for the, there's so many openings at conferences that they'll, they'll fund a student to go. So look at conferences for the parts of the industry that you're interested in, whether it's photojournalism, investigative reporting, there are so many more, you know, but there are so many opportunities for students out there. There is such a culture of, of giving back and paying opportunities forward. Um, take advantage of those because people do want to help. And if you can find the time to apply, apply for everything. Like I said earlier, for somebody who's looking to get into the media industry, I know how valuable that is. Um, and I thank you for saying it. And as we wrap up, let me say thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story and sharing your advice. I really, really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me here. Thanks again to Maureen for joining us on this episode. I'm your host, Kira Posey. Our producer is Keith Herndon, the executive director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with the lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at the lead podcast. See you next time.